Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. Uh, and we've been away for a bit. You've been off in Dominican Republic. Yes. Teaching and uh, interviewing yeah. people. And watching films and um, meeting with filmmakers. Actually, I posted a, a, what I think is a fantastic interview with a sound uh, a person, uh, Jose Romero Mora Costa, who's like... Uh, uh, a really interesting person who works with sound, uh, and uh, uh, I did this interview, uh, which is in my blog, on my blog, uh, notesonfilm1.com. <laughs> and actually, I, I was really, I want to do a whole series of interviews on that, because I find it thrilling, you know, to talk to a person whose job it is, you know, and they can, you know, they can teach you kind of what they try to do, what they succeed in doing, what's involved in the doing. Right, yeah. so you know, uh, that was fascinating, really. Uh, and one almost never talks to below the line people, yeah, to those technicians, you know. So, kind of, you know, what he was saying about uh, using old microphones and how you get different sound qualities with old microphones, and you know, how he, how he restores them to get those particular qualities of sound, hmm. right? I mean, I found all of that fascinating. And the, the two things that he said that um, stayed with me is that he sees um, sound as, as recording emotion, yeah? The kind of sound can create feelings. And more than that, you know, particularly on the play with off-screen sound and, on sc- yeah, and, and the diegetic space, that the, the off-screen sound kind of creates the world in which what you see happens, yeah? Yeah. Which I thought was kind of, you know, brilliant, really. Like, you kind of know it, but it's just so interesting to have, you know, a sound person articulated in those ways. Mm. So, um, anyway, that's not what we're here to discuss. That's not what we're here to talk about today, though. Yeah. Um, so we saw Annihilation the other day. We saw it on Tuesday evening. Tuesday evening. It's now Friday evening. Yes. Um, so... Um, Friday afternoon. So what, what happened was, um, Annihilation is this new film from Alex Garland, written and directed. It's based on a, a novel by someone else. Um, so it's not a, a completely original, like, you know, kind of, well, The Beach was him based on his own, that's his screenplay based on his own novel, and also Ex Machina, I think, was completely original mm. and directed by him as well. Uh, this is based on on an existing novel by somebody else. Um, but what's kind of uh, interesting about it is that it's one of these that was been bought, and bought by Netflix, so it's not a Netflix original. It's not made by Netflix. Mm. Although Netflix is very keen to put their branding all over the fucking thing mm. and call it a Netflix original whenever mm. they can. Mm. Um, it's not. It was made by Paramount and released theatrically in the United States. Uh, and they basically seem to have decided that we're not sure this has got legs yes. for an international release. It, we think it's too intellectual. We don't think it'll make its money. We'll sell it to Netflix and make it freely available to everyone. So I've I've been very pissed off about this because films should be seen at the cinema, and um, that's you know Netflix is the absolute antithesis to that. We talked about it the other week with uh, Amazon. You know Amazon at least respects a theatrical window. Then it goes on to streaming later on. Mm. Netflix doesn't do this. Well, I'm a bit more sympathetic. Why? Well, to who? To Paramount or Netflix or what? To pa- to Paramount in a sense, you know. Uh, it- you know, one of the things that we always have to remember is that it's a business. You know, it's a business decision. It's kind of nothing personal. And actually nothing 
is stopping the film being screened for cinephiles. And actually, our event was an example of that, right? That right, so this was a one-off where the everyman cinema up and down the country was doing one screening on a Tuesday night, just one everywhere. Yeah. And that's what we caught. We were told about it by um, Lee Kemp. Yeah, had there been queues, you know, all over the block to see it, I'm sure they would have put another screening and another screening and so on. But actually the fact is that there, there wasn't. Well, there weren't queues, but then the film has already been out on Netflix for a little while now, and people who wanted to see it have been able to see it. Yeah. I mean, I was going to watch it eventually on Netflix because I thought there was no hope of seeing it at the cinema. Well, And it was only when it turned out that, you know, when Lee told us, oh, it's happening here... That's when I saw, okay, I'm going to put it off and watch it here once. That'll be my one chance to see it at cinema. Well, I think two things. First, um, you know, uh, uh, the industry has forgotten, really, how, in America, how to release uh, films on a small scale. You know, so what you hear now is that basically the, 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 the publicity and promotion budget for each of the major releases is, you know, at least as expensive and often more expensive than the film itself. Right, so the film did incredibly poorly, very poorly, uh, uh, on, upon its U.S. release. So in a way, it's understandable why Paramount, uh, um, you know, wanted to make its money back and sold it to to Netflix. Mm. On the other hand, it's a real pity because the film deserves to be seen on a on a big screen. It is a cinematic experience, you know. So and there has to be a better way of releasing films theatrically than doing it on 2,000 screens the way that, you know... Well, I mean, you Paramount. think they could bring that maybe the, the idea of a roadshow release where instead of instead of your all of your uh, efforts going into, you know, the one day where we release it, all in one day, and then that's how that's how it goes, you give it a film an opportunity to build up word of mouth and, yeah. and a, a, you know, kind of uh, a... What's the word? Um... Well, to build an audience, you know, yeah. uh, 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 and to expand the release... Kind Reputation. Of, yeah, based on, on the audience reaction. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, that is a bit the way that Arrival uh, was released last year. And Arrival is clearly a model for this film, yeah? It's kind of, you know, a sci-fi slash auteur film with a female protagonist, you know, that is unconventional and has an art house kind of feel to it, right? Yeah, well, they certainly share... A, they, they share a certain level of dullness at the start and they share a kind of... There's a thing on Earth that we don't really understand and we're exploring it. Yeah. The, the thing about Arrival was that, to me, it only really made sense at the end, right? And kind of once you make sense of the end, the whole film retroactively becomes almost great. Yeah, like, mm. you know, you're, yeah. So it was an experience that you kind of feel while you're watching it that you're slightly enduring it, you know, and then the ending reinscribes your whole experience uh, of the film. And There's, Annihilation is the other way around, where it makes a lot of sense and then the ending happens and it doesn't. Okay, I don't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not love it. Um, uh, which is a shame. I mean, I was worried again. I was also worried that, like, while I was watching it, I was just going to be fucking consumed with fury that like that all the circumstances had conspired that meant that this was the only time I could see it properly. As it happened, obviously I got into it, but um, but I'm, I was I felt a bit nonplussed by it, a bit let down. Well, let's talk about it because you know I loved it. So there will um, be spoilers coming up. Yes. Um, we, we, I'm the stuff I've been thinking about as well. I, I might spoil uh, a film called Life, which came out. 
okay. 2017, which, have you seen Life? I mean, I'm not sure I have. What it's, is it about? It's scientists on a spaceship and an alien gets loose and just starts fucking ruining their shit. It's great. It's so much fun. Okay. But, but there is a certain similarity between this and Annihilation, which if you haven't seen either of them, or if you've seen one or not the other, it's a potential spoiler. So all I'd say right now is you should go and see Life or you know dig it out because mm. it's really, really good fun. Um, and actually, I enjoyed it a lot more than, than Annihilation. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me just set up the plot slightly. So Natalie Portman plays this biologist who's a former soldier who's married to... What's his name? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, who is a soldier, who's been sent on this mission. Uh, she's t- totally secret. She knows nothing she about does, it. She doesn't know what it is. But he comes back and his body begins to deteriorate. Right, uh, and but he comes back in a kind of daze. He doesn't really know anything. He doesn't respond to her. He's been away for like a he's year. Been, yeah, he's been away for. He so has no memories. He's got, yeah, exactly. And then his body begins to deteriorate. So, um, so she decides to go on a mission beyond the shimmer and to the lighthouse to see exactly what's happened. Now, okay, but what's the shimmer? Um, this is where he's been. This is so. It turns out Oscar Isaac has been into this thing called the Shimmer, which is like a big kind of uh, oily bubble yes. that stretches up into the sky. It's um, like a at, force field, right? And it's this kind of alien entity that's kind of gradually spreading out. Yes. And the scientists who are kind of stationed outside it have no idea what's going on. They just keep on sending teams of people in who keep on not coming back. And Oscar Isaac is the only one who's returned, and he's returned in this weird state. Right. So. Uh, in kind of in slightly figuring out what's going on, um, Natalie Portman joins the next team that's going to be going in because she was a soldier, so that's yes. how they get her in. That's I mean, right. she's a she's a soldier and, and she's a really good doctor. It's like, yeah, okay, I totally believe that. Fine, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, so she joins the team, and it's yeah. just, it's, a, it's an all female team going in, led by um, uh, oh, what's her face? Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, and they're going to go in and just try, just, just going to kind of try to get to this lighthouse in the centre. It's quite vague. Yeah, and they want to um, figure out what happens. The danger is there's a kind of deadline to this in the sense that, you know, this force field is expanding, right? So the risk is that it's going to overtake this military research settlement nearby and then possibly expand onto states and the cities and states and so on. Yeah. So there's a sense of... Um, and actually, as they go into the Shimmer a, a little later on in the film, you see a previous military station that has already been overtaken. It's expanded beyond that. Exactly. So now, the film has a very interesting structure because, you know, it kind of... Once you finish seeing it, you realise that the whole film really begins once she, she herself has returned from the Shimmer. And then it's structured around a series of interviews with her. Yeah, and so different timelines recur yeah, throughout the film uh, and the main of the action takes place within this shimmer. But there's a kind of always a going back to yeah, this interview that she's undergoing. Yeah, so the right. film is told... I think it's quite explicit. I don't think it's so you're meant to... It's not meant to be a twist. Like, right at the start, you've got Natalie Portman sitting in a chair in a military facility being asked questions by a doctor in like a radiation suit saying what happened in there. I know, but... It's very clearly set up as this flashback structure. I think it is, but nonetheless, it's it's an interesting and complex structure because it's not as if, you know, there's a recounting and then a present action. There are other things in between that are like, 
you know, uh, um, her thoughts to another period, mm. you know. So, for example, you see her black colleague, right, at the very beginning of the film, you know, and then once in those flashbacks, you know, you realize that they're having an affair, but are they having an affair while the husband is still there? Yeah? Or, uh, yeah. So, kind of, those things become kind of, there's, there's a complicated play on time in the film. Okay, that, that didn't seem quite so complicated to me, but maybe the film is actually trying to complicate it more than, than it seemed. I mean, it seemed quite clear to me that she was sleeping with him while the husband was away, but maybe that's actually something that I read into it and the film is not really saying. Uh, I don't know. Yes. Um, well, it seems to me that... Uh, um, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, I wasn't sure whether um, she was sleeping with him only while the husband was away or whether it actually predated... I, yeah. My impression was that it was whilst the husband was there. You know, because that whole speech about how it can continue and no, there'll never be another time. Mm. You know, it doesn't make sense if the husband is still away, really. Mm. Or it makes less sense. But then also there was something about the husband... She was only with him for a very short time before he left. Like, there was something about how he'd been away for longer than they'd been together. Something like that. Okay. It's, I, but uh, yeah, I'll have to watch it again to... That out. I think I think the timeline is interestingly complicated and things are only slowly revealed. Yes, um, which I liked. So it's like the film sets up tensions between its own process, different moments and its unfolding. It's, it does set up kind of interesting twists. Not that it tricks you, but just that you know more. Yeah, mm-hmm. that things become clear. Right. There's always a rhyming with previous scenes um, that I find very interesting. Um, what I loved about the film was, I mean, I think I said on Facebook how unusual it is to see a female protagonist leading a band of females on a mission in a sci-fi film. And somebody said, oh, no, that's not unusual at all. In fact, there was a rival and whatever. But actually, I don't think it's the same at all. I mean, I think this is like an entire, you know, female f- force. Well, it's, it's um, I suppose it's notable or remarkable insofar as they're military. Um, although, you know, they're, kind of, they're set up as one of them's a biologist and one of them's a physicist and one of them does something else, but they're all military trained and then they're in military garb and they're all wielding guns. And so that's kind of, that seems a little bit notable. To me it as, does. As, as opposed to being kind of uh, defenceless or, you know, kind of having other people there to protect them while they do their scienty bits. They're, they're smart women with... Uh, guns going on a mission in which they are expected to fight as well as use their brains and survive. It's and kind so, of survival. Yeah. There's like a, there's almost like a Blair Witch thing going on right at the start where everything kind of becomes as soon as they get into the shimmer and then they set up camp and then they wake up and it's it's like we reckon we've been here for three or four days but none of us can remember anything. We can't even remember setting up camp and the compasses don't work. So it becomes this kind of we've just got to survive now. Yes. Um. And, and that's yeah. I thought it was fascinating. And I thought it was fascinating. You know, so one of them is a lesbian, you know, kind of the, the, the antagonist is actually not a male, you know, or a female for that matter. Yeah, so kind of, I thought that was a very, uh, it's a very unusual Hollywood film uh, and very, very interesting in the way that it kind of, it, it, it plays with, you know, uh, the representation and the and genre and things like that. So um, that whole aspect I liked very much. Um I also thought it was um, 
complex yeah I'm, I'm not sure i got it all you know so it begins with like you know life on earth and you know how we are basically the products of single cells reproducing and reproducing and mutating right and then kind of showing us that within the shimmer there is a kind of a similar process of mutation but actually the mutation that it's undergoing is a refraction of cells so you end up with you know things like you know, deer with antlers that are flowers or, you know, trees that have the shapes of humans, right? Kind of, and I've thought all of those it's images. This idea of cross-pollination mutation, because actually when, uh, that's that scene you're remembering at the start where Natalie Portman's teaching a class and she's showing a video of cells dividing into two, mm. four, six, uh, two, four, eight, 16 and so on. Um, that is a cancer. That's what she says. Yes. So, um, so it's this idea of, Kind of uh, cancer is a kind of unrestricted um, growth and mutation, right? In in the way that like uh, other all other forms of life are contained, mm. um, and there's this idea in it of kind of life warring upon itself. Like cancer is this thing that kind of it, it lives in a host, but it lives to destroy it. Mm. Um, so you think, well, maybe that's the kind of analogy that's being drawn with the shimmer mm. that it kind of it's it sits on Earth, mutating things and uh, and, and disrupting them. And ultimately, it kind of lives only to to self destruct, self destruct. Mm. And there's this there's this uh, other idea of self destruction with the Jennifer Jason Lee character who's leading the whole pack. Um, she has cancer, uh, which uh, it's implied to be terminal, and she so she doesn't care about how her life is going. So that's so that's why she can kind of plow on into this thing because the, th- the thing is, every single team that they've sent into the Shimmer uh, has, has not come back, mm. uh, which is one of the things that was slightly annoyed me to be honest about the about the central conceit of the film is that although they have individual motivations these characters for going into the shimmer um obviously particularly jennifer jason lee has this such a desire to know what's going on in center of it that and then she also doesn't sort of care enough about how about the rest of her life because she's she's terminal Mm. and then you've got natalie portman who needs to know what happened to her husband Mm. the other three have sort of vague personal issues <laughs> that inform mm. but um, so they all kind of have their individual motivations to go in but as a team it's a fucking stupid idea every single every single time someone goes in they don't come back out and they just so like you've got the military or the government or whoever it is and you know just throwing bodies at this thing that, that never nothing happens is the implication that they've done it more than once because my implication is that they, were, they had only done one previous mission no I remember the implication again we'd have to see it again to be yeah. absolutely sure but, my, but I remember the implication being that they sent in several teams because Oscar Isaac is quite notable is the only one who's come out of this yes I, that I, I get you know, that was part of you know uh, um the the previous team that went in, but I, I you know I hadn't realized that it had been a series of teams. Yeah, I think so. Um, so when so when they're in the shimmer, it, the, the plot certainly becomes quite vague to me. Like they're just working their way in somewhere and having a look around. Like that. No, they're working their way towards the lighthouse. Yes, they're working their way towards the lighthouse, and they have these arguments about what they're going to do or not. But that their behavior is still unconvincing to me. Like they're not they're not doing very much by way of. Um, actually investigating things, doing tests, that sort of thing. Oh, I didn't mind that. I mean, it sets up a, a, a reason... So, it sets up a rationale. So, first of all, our communications are cut off, right? Because this this force field affects, you know, communication with the outside. You know, then also what's happening is their own cells are mutating, you know, uh, as the longer they stay within this force field, 
you know, the more they're muta- they're mutating, they're mutating in ways that are like a crossbreeding of species, right? Um, the other thing that's happening is that they wake up not no not remembering what they had done the night before, mm. right? So you know the sense of like a, the circularity of you know, uh, um, what they're doing. So, you know, they have the feeling that they've been there two days and they've been there like three weeks or whatever, right? So, uh, and they forget what happened before. I thought all of that was quite interesting. I didn't think it was that interesting. It felt so vague and kind of heading nowhere. And um, the film has a couple of effective sequences of uh, attacks by, by sort of mutated creatures. Uh, one in particular is the bear in the house. The bear is fantastic. Um, the I house... love the crocodile scene as well. Yeah, the crocodile was okay. Um, some of the CGI work there isn't the best, actually. Like, actually, I think the, visually the film is pretty fucking astonishing. It is. Particularly the images of um, the plants that have grown in the shape of humans. Yeah. Those are made, there's a kind of a garden for them. And it's, it's, almost, it, it's almost like it's a graveyard. Um, like people, because one character has kind of been transforming into... Uh, a plant in front of your eyes and she walks off mm. and then she kind of go around a corner and you can't see her anymore because there's a garden full of these things and she's just kind of must have just become one of them mm. um uh, which is which is pretty uh stunning um but just, some of the but just a couple of bits with uh the animals the crocodile is has it has that weird thing where although the modeling is great the rendering kind of doesn't quite sit it in the scene somehow you can tell it's separate and there are a couple of bits like that, but then, uh, then actually, there was a Q and A with Alex Garland um, after the film. They they showed an edited Q and A, and he was talking about how in the dance scene towards the end, where Natalie Portman is mirrored by a, a sort of clone of herself, um, that actually because Natalie Portman was pregnant, uh, most of that isn't her. Most of that is a, a dancer, and they've put her face on in CGI, and no one, and you can't tell that at all. So like. It didn't bother me at all. I thought it was visually spectacular, both in the way that it's conceived and in terms of its concepts, right? There's there's often like, I don't know, like these these labial or vaginal holes everywhere, right? So, you know, kind of where there's a shot of Natalie Portman looking into, you know, the crocodile teeth where it's shot from the point of view as if the camera was in the crocodile. Right, and that kind of imagery, yeah, and you, you get that in the lighthouse all the time, and yeah, it's, it's almost When she's like, looking into the hole at the end of the lighthouse. That's right, yeah. you know, and she shot with that hole as a background in, you know, a lot of those shots. So I thought all of it was, 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 was fantastic, actually. Um, and I thought conceptually it was fantastic. Yeah, that kind of, you know, so there's this, a- this alien life force that's kind of through this... this this mutation that you get this sense that might have been caused accidentally through some kind of radiation hitting the lighthouse or something, you know, that all of a sudden kind of humans are cross-pollinating with um, aliens, yeah? Uh, And I thought kind Mm. of, you know, uh, um, that was done so fantastically and it makes the ending so great. To be fair, it doesn't seem to be with aliens exactly, although aliens, I think, more or less are showing up at the end, but most of it is... The idea. So, what one of the characters describes the Shimmer as it's the quantum physicist. You know, mm. let's get a quantum physicist because that just means we can have anything. And the quantum physicist says the Shimmer is, uh, as you say, refracting things. So, so it's not that you don't. It's not that communications through the radio are cut off. It's that they're scrambled. 
um, and and it, the same is happening with DNA, which is why. Um, all, so it's not just humans and and aliens or humans and plants cross pollinate, but absolutely everything is. Yes. Um, and it does lead to these to these sort of interesting visuals and interesting character designs, particularly that bear that that screams with a human voice because it's kind of taken on the the kind of what's left in a way of one of the characters that it's previously killed. Yes. And that's how it lures the one character outside by screaming yes. with her voice. Yes. Um, which, and that's, that's a fantastic sequence. That's really a fantastic is. sequence. Um, and it's so creepy when, you, cause you've got this huge bloody great bear thing with weird looking teeth. It's almost like a giant rodent the way it looks. Yes. But it's screaming with a human voice in front of their faces. Yes. Fantastic. Um, but like I say, there's kind of so the film is starting to hint at these ideas of life warring upon itself because that's how evolution works. It's like survival of the fittest, and whatever's weakest dies out against the other stuff. Life kills itself to to evolve and get stronger. But it's so implicit, and it doesn't really add up to anything. It's it, what's it ultimately saying, really? Nothing. Well, not nothing. I mean, you know, something that starts off with a cancer, you know, and where cancer is actually used as a me as a springboard to talking about you know life on earth um then actually ends with a coupling you know of an old form and a new form to create a distinct form you know i thought it was an alien but but you're right i think maybe it's not maybe it's just a mutation right um you know so but what's interesting is that earth natalie ends up with you know, the non-human version of her husband. Yeah, the clone version. The clone version of her husband, I suppose. You know, and they end up together. But she's been affected too. That's the thing. Oh. So this is right at the very end. So so um, so when you get to the lighthouse, you see this videotape that's been taken by Oscar Isaac's team. And there's this burned out body sitting in the corner, which which the video is trained on. Um uh, well, the, the video is pointing at it. The, in the video, it's not burnt out yet. You're seeing how this body got there. And it turned out that this body was Oscar Isaac, mm. um, who burnt himself to death. It's like, the, it, and it's actually, I think, probably deliberately reminiscent of, um, is his name Thich Quang Duc, the Buddhist, was a Vietnamese monk who burned himself in protest. Yes. I, I'm probably butchering all of that story, but that, it's a famous image yes. of the self-immolation of the priest. Um and and I think there's the film is drawing on this idea of rebirth in in there the Buddhist idea of of uh, death and reincarnation. He seems to be reincarnated as something else, as this different form of himself that that is alien based, that mm. doesn't doesn't remember anything. Then you have the same thing with Natalie Portman, except Natalie Portman sort of gets the upper hand on her clone and gets it to destroy itself and mm. escapes. So I guess the implication is that at the end, the, the Natalie Portman that you've been seeing telling the story is the original Natalie Portman. But as we've seen, she has been... Because uh, you've seen her doing blood work on herself and yes. seeing that her, her blood is kind affected. of shimmering and different. It's yeah. been affected. And so what she embraces Oscar Isaac at the end. She says, you're not... I think it's... I can't remember his name, Dave or something. He says, you're not Dave, are you? And he says, I don't think so. And they embrace, and both of their irises shimmer. Oh. So they're both kind of not... Human. Then Yeah, they're not human, but maybe they're not completely alien either. There's something different going on. But it is so vague, and I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to take from this ending. 
I don't mm. know. <laughs> well, you see, to me, it was kind of, I thought it was clear to me in a way, because, you know, like, and this Alex Garland also said in the uh, uh, Q&A, you know, you have like this enormous uh, uh, lighthouse <laughs> and it's on top of a, you know, a, a chamber, yeah. yeah, which is full of energy, you know. So it is like basically kind of, you know, male, female, yin, yang, whatever, kind of, you know, interacting to create a new life. Right. Um, and so and I, and I think the image that you are talking about, you know, kind of underlines that. Right. So kind of, you know, here are these two people coming together. They're both new. They're both different in some way. And their eyes shimmer to indicate that yeah, something new is going to be created. So, you know, kind of um, we're going to be created in a different mm. way, really. But I don't and know that's how sinister... now outside. That's now outside the shimmer. But I don't know how sinister I'm supposed to find it. Oh, how sinister. Do you know what I, I mean? Like, meant, I, I can't I'm, tell if I'm supposed to be like, this is a new future, or if this is, they've managed to invade Earth. <laughs> I, I don't think you're meant to find it sinister. I think you're just too me- meant to find mm. it like light, life. Yeah, mm. that kind of... Um, so, I don't know. I kind of... And actually, kind of, all the questions that we're raising, it really makes me want to see it again. You know, because I think those, those, those questions are answered by the film. It just takes maybe a little more work than I've given it, you know, until now, really. Um, it kind mm-hmm. of... Um, it, it did stay with me, uh, the film, though it stayed with me more on a purely um, kind of visual basis uh, than anything else. My yes. criticism would have been that... And, I, and actually, I think I found this a criticism of Ex Machina as well, though it made more sense in Ex Machina, Right. But there's a kind of alienation or a, a, an alienated feel to the characters in the whole first third of the film. Like, you know, they're all distant and so on. Yeah, it kind of, you know, it's almost like the scenes don't play. Like there's a kind of a, mm-hmm. a coolness or distance or, yeah, that I thought, you know, I couldn't be sure at the beginning. Is this just that the scenes are not working or that you're meant to feel this sense of alienation, right? Mm. You know, um, I think that could have been done differently. You know, I, I think those scenes could have had more warmth and more jokes and more life. You know, I don't think you need this feeling of alienation. Uh, I think the film is um, characterizing Natalie Portman in, I think, quite a conventional way at the start. Mm. You know, her husband is not around and she's sort of slightly dispossessed and she's having this kind of loveless affair with this other guy yes. and she doesn't know if he's coming back and and it's sort of it's doing the bare minimum work just to establish that this is kind of who this character is mm. and that she desires this connection with her husband and mm. doesn't and it is dull as fuck basically <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't say that but but it did, it did, it did raise questions. Actually, I mean, I think there were certain things that, you know, and this might be my own bias, my own taste, but I would have liked to have seen more warmth, life, connection, knowledge mm-hmm. about everything, you know, all the people, like at the beginning of the film. I would have liked more action. You know, I would have liked, like, you know, in, in Aliens, yeah, the James Cameron you remember Chavez, I think her name was, the butch kind of Latina in the team, right, who, like, fights and shoots. And I would have liked kind of all the women when they go into the, you know, inside the shimmer, 
have actually been given some exciting action sequences, right? Because they're not like, you know, so there are scenes with tension, but actually there's no exciting action scenes. Like, um, so, which kind of, which a little bit undermines, you know, the credit that you're giving, you know, the, 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 the work for having an old woman, you know, hmm. you know, cast going into this danger. Like I would have liked to have seen them overcome that danger or you do some physical action with it or show how great they are with guns. Or, or... it would have been nice to see them kind of interact in any way that was really remotely interesting. Like they, they have they have conversations about whether we should carry on or go back. Mm. Uh, you know, um, they have conversations about what they've literally just seen, like they come across some sort of weird mutated body in a swimming pool. But actually, like, do they interact in any way that kind of really speaks to... Uh, how they relate to each other or to the world as women? Yes, I think it does. So I think, for example, at the very beginning, when one of them comes on to Natalie Portman, and she says, I might as well try, you know, I've got only a few hands left to play or something like that, she says. Um, you know, and then she's the one who turns on them when, you know, she realizes that she's married to this guy who, you know, she's chasing over. So... You know, I think it kind of has this, that resonance with the beginning, right? So, you know, kind of, you know, she's a lesbian. She's made a pass at her now. You know, there's two forms of betrayal. The fact that she might be, she hasn't told them that she was married and had a husband, you know. Uh, and so she might have many ulterior motives that puts them in danger. But also the fact that, you know, kind of she probably let her on or something, right? So the... Mm. I think I think the first part is more important than the second. I think I think it's it's literally only she's only saying, "Get off with me," in on the on the off chance. Well, that's true, but nonetheless, it is significant that that's the woman who gets so riled up yeah, about discovering that she's married, right? I think that Ex Machina did did much more interesting things in this respect. So I think Ex Machina is a fucking brilliant film, and I think it has it has such a fascinating sort of uh, attitude and perspective and interpretation of of the way that men build women as as images and ideas that they can that they can never hope to live up to because what's in your head is you'll always find it um you know the Oscar Isaac character in Ex Machina he builds these women as basically kind of sex dolls that are just quiet and do what he says mm. has this house full of robotic women that he just that he rapes essentially like they they kind of they 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 have such an advanced ai that they know Mm. You know, they can experience pain and grief, I think. Um, and then even though he's the one designing them to exactly his specifications, they can never live up to what he wants because ultimately they're not human. Mm. They, they're they made by him and, and and just the knowledge that he's made them means that they, they, they miss something. And I, that that film is... And then... I mean, I, I, I thought that film was great the first time I saw it. And then the second time I watched it, I watched it kind of from the perspective of the Alicia Vikander character, mm. who's the character that ultimately, spoilers, I guess, um, that ultimately uh, kills Oscar Isaac and traps Donald Gleason in the house and escapes to the mm. real world. Uh, again, somewhat similar to the end of Annihilation, the kind of, it, it gets out and is in the real world without anyone knowing. Mm. Um and 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 when I watched it from her perspective, I thought like obviously this is this is it, it's such a, it's such a dark story the first time because you're you're watching it from Donald Gleason's perspective and from his perspective he's a nice guy who's gone into this house to uh, explore this amazing new AI 
and, and kind of be tested by this sinister Oscar Isaac and mm. kind of it's right that Oscar Isaac gets his comeuppance and dies mm. but you feel sorry for Donald Gleeson because he's really done nothing that wrong he's been nice and actually he's been taken advantage of mm. by the Alicia Vikander robot character who who uses him to get out and locks him in this room mm. so it's it, it's terribly sort of it's crushing the first time but the second time I watched it and I was, and I was thinking of it from her perspective she's a prisoner she's been built as a prisoner in this mm. place to be raped and taken advantage of and so when she meets Donald Gleeson she sees opportunity to get out mm. and and wouldn't you just do fucking anything you could and manipulate anyone you could to get out of this place and if it meant leaving Donald Gleeson in this place even though he's essentially a nice person mm. who's done nothing wrong if it meant leaving him there because he threatened your possibility of a good life when you got out i kind of i i totally was with her the second time like actually mm. i think it's a really interesting sort of um uh, piece of work sort of feminist film that uh, is is a lot kind of it's even darker the second time in a way but it's in a kind of really unique way I don't think I've ever seen anything like it and I guess I mean I'm kind of banging on about Ex Machina there the point is just to say that I think that film was such a fucking brilliant piece of work that was full of originality and mm. things that I just hadn't seen before and hadn't considered and made me look at things in a different way I feel so let down by Annihilation that I didn't feel any of that hmm. at well, all um I don't know. I mean, I I feel I think it's a really interesting film. I think it's, it gets richer the more I think about it, um, and it is kind of one of those films that I feel I want to see again. Um, you know that kind of the film is offering me all I need to know, and it's just you know that the nature of seeing, you know, in a following um, is that you know there are things that I've missed. I mean, I know I missed. Mm. You know, um, though actually that is partly the film's fault, you know, like, you know, yeah. um, but I, but I do think it's one of those films that's kind of designed to be viewed several times. I think that's true. I think I will watch it again. But uh, having said that, when I said, let's, uh, when, uh, let's come over today and let's do the podcast on Annihilation yeah. because we've also, it's obviously it's good Friday. So we had loads of time and you were saying, okay, let's watch it again and do the podcast. And I said, I don't really want to. Yes. I, that's kind of telling to me, like, even though it's free and it's right there and I can watch it in HD and all the rest, like, I don't have to download a horrible camera copy or anything to watch it twice. I didn't really fancy it. Yeah, that's it. Well, that is interesting. Me, I, on the other hand, I did, you know, so, um, because, you know, kind of just the last, what is it, half an hour, 40 minutes of the film are to me so extraordinary so I think kind of, you know, the, the the first 40 minutes or so, you know, you're introduced to the characters and you're making the, you're setting up the pieces and, and actually, like, I was a little bit uninvolved, you know, mm. so I think I might have just missed essential information, really. <laughs> and then as soon as, as soon as they got into the shimmer, I kind of, I thought, wow, right, you know, but by then, you know, I, I'm sure I couldn't connect some of the pieces at the, you know, the end mm. to the beginning, right? Um, so it's certainly true that it's it's there's information scattered in such a way that you are meant to pick up on how it's joined together on a second and third viewing. Yeah, there's no question about that. It's not it's not that straightforward. Yeah, um, and I think it's good for that. Like I think the way that it the way that kind of uh, Natalie Portman in particular her character jumps into these flashbacks that are sometimes very very fleeting of you know kind of spending time in the affair, or spending time with her husband, and the way life used to be. And, um, 
even if they even if they're not kind of narratively that infor- that informing they're they're emotionally mm. informing kind of where her headspace is and i think that i think that's really good mm. i think there is some really i mean i don't want to be too down on it like i think it's it's really ambitious and it's exactly the kind of film that wouldn't make any money because it is trying to do so much it is um, it is a 40 million dollar art movie yeah. you know so that's why on the one hand kind of well first it's really surprising that paramount made it right um, and then it's hardly surprising mm-hmm. that Paramount had to sell it to Netflix to in order to get any money back because you know I do think that kind of the theatrical uh, um, opportunities for a film that makes so many demands on you um, and that's not quite you know a thrilling pleasure to watch right it requires effort yeah you know. Um, I, I, I personally don't think it would have made that amount of money back. No, it probably any other wouldn't. Way. So, but I uh, think I think there is a consideration that like you're not only in the business of of making money, but you're in the business of culture. It matters that that you kind of represent your work and uh, to with with respect and integrity. Okay. Well, let me tell you, you know, if I were like a great filmmaker, you know, I certainly kind of uh, wouldn't work for Paramount. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. Why them in particular? So well because they're the ones who who made this film and right. I I also agree. Oh, I see what you mean. You know, like, if, what you mean on the basis of what happened with Annihilation? Yeah, you wouldn't then. No, if you could have helped. I wouldn't. It. I mean, you know, but the, but again, that's the trade-off that mm. people make, right? Like, you know, if you accept this kind of budget, you know, you are you are accepting certain kinds of constraints. I mean, mm. you know, if he'd made the film for three million and it would have gotten a kind of call me by your name type of release. You know, and then like if it makes forty million, it's a smash hit, right? Then it's a different yeah. story. But to be so, fair, Alex Garland did say in that Q and A, which I think is a really fair thing. He says all all the creative decisions and the inf- and the uh, uh, meddling or what or what have you describe it by the studio has to happen before the film starts yes. being made. So before the budget is approved, basically, and before you put pen to paper and say we're going to agree to this, you say we, we, we want this, we want that. And you have your discussions with the filmmakers then, and you come to an agreement on what the film is supposed to be, and then once the film is in production or even in pre-production, it's it's not up to the studio anymore. Like they've made their that that's his okay. attitude. Listen. It doesn't it doesn't have to like in other words, what he's saying is that's the way he wants to interact with studios. Sure, films. But you know that's not the way life is, or the way that history tells us that it is. Well, right? it, it is. It is as far as if you actually do have agreement of that nature with the studio. That's the way it is. And actually, what I'm getting to is I think that that is exactly what's happened with this. There was no suggestion that the studio has meddled with the film. No, but the studio wanted to. Right. But the, but what's happened <laughs> is the stu- is that the, the studio has decided upon its release. And Nancy Garland is not happy with that. He says this was made for the big screen. Well, my understanding of the story but- is that the film was not working in previews. There were lots of suggestions for changes made. Alex Garland refused all those suggestions. Right. Right. So, you know, and, and so fine. I think he, ha- he had con- contractual control over it so that the changes weren't made. This is the film that he wanted to shoot and, you know, he made it as he made it. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, you do have somebody who's put in, like, you know, I think it's 40 million budget, but 55, you know, with, uh, um, you know, some, some promotional spending. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden there's a chance they might never get it back, right? So, and this is, this is a history of movies, right? The people who, who put up the money want to make money and actually they normally have control it's their money right so it's very well to say mm. okay you sign up for this 
you know, and you know what I'm doing, and I was honest with you at the beginning, it's true, that maybe is the way that things should be. But that's not the way they've been historically, because somebody who's about to lose $40 million goes, ah, let me try and recover yeah. it. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and I, don't, I don't think there's anything that's really underhand about the way this film's been made or released. Like yeah. I say, this film was made the way that Alex Garland wanted to make it, and it wasn't to the studio's satisfaction, and they thought, if we're going to recoup our costs on this, to we have extent, to sell it to we've got to sell it to Netflix. The problem then is that Netflix has created this environment in which it's okay to do that, and putting a film on Netflix is still basically releasing it straight to video. I know, but you know... I, I completely believe people, that. People need a little bit of historical memory, right? Because... You know, I mean, if you go back to the 70s, so fair enough, like films would always initially be released in a cinema, you know, but the way that most people saw it was, you know, cut with advertisements, you know, with the ratio mismanaged, with, you know, scan and span and pan and scan, pan and scan. You know, so like I suppose each right, but they generation... had the opportunity to watch it on a cinema screen, and you know if they missed it, often not everybody did. You know? No, okay, not everybody, but like you know, because there it... would be regional releases, so, but you it know, would some have films yeah would only be released in Texas. Yeah, you know, um, so I'm. It's, look, I mean, it's it, not it, ideal, It is a right? good thing that people have the opportunity to see this and everyone's got Netflix, so, you know, they, they can see it. And they should. And it's better than everything else that Netflix has mm. made, pretty much. I was saying to you the other day, I was, we saw some article, I saw some article that was about how the big five studios are releasing something like 56 movies between them in the upcoming year. And Netflix, on its own, is releasing about 80. Netflix yeah. is flooding... Uh, uh, well, it's. It, I mean, it's kind of unlimited space, isn't it, on the internet? But it's it's flooding kind of culture with a stream of absolute shite. Yeah. Very, very few things that, that come out of it are great. Movies. And and one of the things that this article said was that uh, watching Netflix originals, as in genuine Netflix originals that are made for Netflix. Um, actually improves them because the way that you watch stuff on Netflix is you sit there with your phone or your laptop yeah. and you're doing other stuff you're not really paying attention and actually if you pay full attention to a film like Mute then you realise that it makes no sense and it's a much worse experience for it uh-huh. uh, that was something interesting like actually films are being designed almost to be not really watched properly mm. you know well I think I think what's happening is you know a lot of them are being designed for the small screen and that's fine right you know, but there are different ways of telling the, a story that work better on a smaller screen. And there are ways that work much better on a large screen. And the pity is, you know, when something made for a large screen, you don't have the opportunity to see it mm-hmm. on a large screen. Because it does, I mean, you know, and, and, and Annihilation is a film which really loses out by being seen on a small screen. I think that's probably true, although I haven't tried to watch it on a small screen yet. But nonetheless, you can tell that some of those images, they really sing in a cinema. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of other things I wanted to pick up on. One of them was, uh, there is a really convincing, and I think quite beautiful, although brief, um, depiction of two people in love. Mm. Uh, and it's done through these flashbacks. There's this, there's this image which you picked up on in particular, of Natalie Portman's arching back mm. as, as she had sex with... I guess his husband at some other. No, I guess. Was it? Was it? Is it, is I, it I thought the, it was. Uh, is it the cheating partner? Yeah, can't remember. Um, but but there's also those moments where the, 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 there's that scene where uh, the two of them, she and her husband, are in bed together yes. and teasing each other and playing yes. each other, and that's really beautiful. It is. Um, and so you can totally see like being a kind of a pivotal memory that you would return to all the time. Um, and there's uh, I watched um, the film Anomalisa recently, which is. Uh, 
uh, stop motion animation by Charlie Kaufman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. It's on Netflix, and you should watch it. It's really, really good. It's quite slow for the start, but it picks up, and it's, it's about this guy who uh, he's in his mid forties, fifties, and he's kind of alone. He's a little bit estranged from his wife. He, he and he sees everyone as the same. It's quite interesting. So like, he is unique. But everyone else in the world, male and female, all have the same face and the same voice mm. done by Tom Noonan. And he feels completely disconnected from the world. But then he meets this girl, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, I think, mm. um, who is different. And they kind of connect. And there's this wonderful scene where they, they're in his hotel room and they just kind of connect and fall in love and have sex. And it's amazing. Like, I mean, considering that the last film I saw with Puppet Sex was Team America... You know, mm. it's just slightly different. It's it's an unbelievably beautiful scene, and it evolves, and it's it's romantic, and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, really. Okay, and how uh, does it connect with the night? It connects because it it, it it made me feel the same as this as this, just this really convincing, uh, beautiful kind of depiction of two people in love and 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 a, and a, and a romance. Mm. It really made me feel the same kind of thing. I I also want to underline the opposite that it's also very unusual. So, so Natalie Portman has an affair with a colleague, uh, you know, who's also like a major scientist. Um, and uh, I forget the actor who plays him. David you know, Gaiasi, I think. Um, but he's a black actor. And so, you know, so what you see is kind of a really interesting interracial affair. And in a way made more interesting for me by the fact that it's cold. Yeah, that it's a purely sexual thing. Mm. Right. And that, you know, kind of. Um, there's a lot of, you know, guilt and alienation attached to the sex that they have, right? Um, And I thought that was kind of, I don't know, somehow uh, brave for the filmmakers to cast it that way, to, you know, to make it an interracial kind of affair. Hmm. Um, I thought that, you know, the film is doing kind of really interesting, risky things with representation. So, you know, Natalie Portman, all women on a mission, you know, one of them is a lesbian, then kind of, you know... uh, uh, her husband is a Latino, and the affair that she's having with, is with, you know, a, a, a black guy. I thought it's a, it's a really interesting representational st- set of strategies that the film has that is most unusual. I had a moment where I was thinking, oh, you know, there's some kind of structuralist racist shit happening here, really, because you know, there was a moment where I thought, huh, you know, the protagonist is Natalie Portman, uh, the, um, what's her name? The, the doctor was dying of cancer. Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah, and so Jennifer Jason Leigh, who's very mysterious, but who's, you know, who is the other main figure in the film, really. You know, so they're both, like, white, and then kind of all of the crocodile fodder is going to be Latino, Japanese, right? Mm. And then I realized, no, that's not quite true, because, you know, I think there's four poor women that go with them, right? And so, and they're Fine, not... Okay, five. I think she's the fifth of the... Of the so, you know, so they're not all... Um, it's Tessa Thompson, Tuba Novotny, Gina Rodriguez, Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, anyway, one of them is white, so at, at least. So my theory that, you know, kind of all the ethnic people were just like going to be crocodile fodder or its equivalent was wrong. Yeah, so I think the film is very rich and praiseworthy in those representational strategies that it's taken. Yeah, Tuba Novotny is Swedish, apparently. You okay. can't really get any wiser than that. Yes. <laughs> but the yeah. others? Uh, well, Gina Rodriguez is Hispanic. Of course. Latina. Um, and uh, Tessa Thompson is black. Right. Um, as, you, as we know. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, so I thought that was great. 
Uh, I do want to pick up on... Because it, it has been slightly on my mind, and I haven't really figured anything out about it, and it's quite important, which is the final scene. The, the, everything going on with the doubling and and the cloning and, and the the way that the, the clone mirrors um, Natalie Portman's movements and eventually mm. kind of becomes a... What, Really, I can't. I, I'm having. I've been having such trouble figuring out, making head to tail of it. What do you think well, of that? Well, to me, I did think it was an alien life form because there's a bit of a conversation, you know, in which she says something like, um, "So, the, so, so it's all choreographed, and initially it's very aggressive, right? So I think Natalie Portman pushes her, then you know, her like pushes her against the wall very aggressively, mm. and I think there's a bit of dialogue where she says. Yeah, well, she just reacted to my aggression. Yeah, right? that's right. She know. was the one who came at her with aggression. The, yeah, that's right. You know, um, so, so, and I suppose that's kind of, my, again, I have to see it again, because my feeling is that it was like, it did have an alien component to it, right? That, you know, this was a sentient being, yes. you know, yeah. uh, um, responding. So... Um, oh, yeah, no, that's what, yeah, absolutely. I, I think... I think I said earlier, when you get into the lighthouse, it's clear that there is an alien entity there that is driving something. Mm. I mean, you, you've seen earlier on, I think right at the start, this this meteor flying through the, uh, the, sky. the sky and hitting this lighthouse and, and obviously going into the ground and that's where this tunnel has emerged from. That's so right. that's kind of the centre of it and it's something that has come from mm. outer space mm. um, that is generating the shimmer, which mm. then generates uh, mutation. That's right. Um, but... Um, I just mean in terms. Of, it's clearly the centerpiece of the film. It's what the film is heading towards. And yes, and I'm. You're puzzled as to what it's right. about. Right. I, I. Well, you know, my theory, and again, you know, this would need to be tested with another viewing of the film, is that it actually has to do with that. With the, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, life on Earth is a construction uh, that comes about from a single cell that breaks up and kind of and reproduces. And mutates, and actually, the film kind of makes that investigation into the cell being a cancer cell. I, you know, something that kills and destroys, and sometimes from within, right? So, if you look at the ending image, which is about you know an Earthling changed or already mutated, and an alien itself already mutated, yeah, kind of you know creating something new. To me, it's kind of part of this theme of like a new form of life on Earth evolving, mm. right? Out of this meeting, out of this mutation, out of this genetic mutation. So, you know, it's not kind of, you know, uh, uh, every ending has a beginning that's different. That's, yeah, kind of, that's my reading of it. Yeah, I guess so. I just, I, I, I guess what I'm struggling with then is is why I think, what why should that be interesting or what is the film actually trying to say about that? That's, and I struggling with that because I think it's actually not that interesting or it's, I don't think it's saying anything that interesting or important or novel um, it's, it's I'm, I'm really stuck with it like I'm stuck as to I think I think the film is not really unclear about what it's showing you but I think I don't think it's that meaningful the other oh. thing is, I saw, I watched The Beach recently, which was Alex Garland's first screenplay based on his novel. It was directed uh, by... I've um, seen it. Directed by Danny Boyle. And uh, I really loved it. I, I think it got a bad rap at the time, but I really it loved is. it. And I think there's something about it which 
I, I related to it in this weird way, this kind of nostalgic way for something that I wasn't nostalgic for because it's 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 in it was made in two thousand. And it's it's full of sort of techno rave music, and it's about these kind of young people, this collective who explore this 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 abandoned island that yeah. no one can really go to, and and kind of there's like a Lord of the Flies thing going on. They build a life for themselves and, and create their own little society, and it's weird because there seems to be this kind of seems to be a type of culture that almost stopped basically around nine eleven. Weirdly, I don't I think that might. I don't mean like it's not because of nine eleven, but it's like this idea of kind of modern day free love, almost hippie revival with with rave culture mm. um, was in things like it was in is in the beach and it was in like the Matrix and Akira and 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 Pie almost and things like this like break music break beat music it kind of finds its way in all over the place and and it's it it really evokes sort of mid to late nineties Western culture that just stops at the at the turn of the millennium. And I think it's 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 like there was this kind of uh, loss of innocence that happened with nine eleven, where it was like all of a sudden we can't be doing that anymore. So so there's this weird thing like I never went to raves and stuff. I was too young to, mm. but I somehow feel nostalgic for them watching the beach, like because okay. it, it evokes. And so again, much. what does this have to do with? No, I was just saying because because it, it was. <laughs> I, I, I just think I just think it, 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 that film just I want to say that like, really captured something that that I think is was like lost almost immediately. It's weird. Like that, like it's the kind of image of like what the future was going to be back then, and then it stopped. Okay, I never read it that way. That's I what mean, it feels like. You know, I kind of. Um, and it's not related to this talk, but I just wanted to say. It. Okay. Um, <laughs> so 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 let's just wrap up annihilation. I I mean, my own view of it is that I would like to see it again. Mm. You know, that it has like some great sequences, and that it might very well be a great film. You know, though I can't really quite tell because I can't tie up the pieces together on the first viewing. I thought, you know, the last 40 minutes were an extraordinary uh, work of visual imagination. Yeah, I don't think it hangs together very well. I think there were some interesting ideas and some very beautiful imagery, but I think actually it's... Uh, I think it's, I was really disappointed by it, to be honest. And I'd rather watch Ex Machina again. And, I, and I'd rather watch Life which, by the way, everyone should go and see Life. Life is really fucking good. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>